you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the prophet Isaiah, not so much for what he did in terms of ministry, but how he became who he was. We have been talking about the need and the reality of revival, revival being an issue of the church, evangelism is the uh, new people being saved coming in, but revival is the church of Jesus Christ being renewed. It's revive. I lived and now I need to be relived. I need to have new strength. I need a refreshment from the Lord. Uh, all of us are in some uh, spiritual cycle at some point. We're either up on the mountaintop strong with the Lord, or some of us may be in, in the valley and in uh, great need, or we're one of the other places. We're going down or we're going coming up. So uh, we, we all have this, this tendency, as the Bible speaks, that uh, our, our hearts are torn to, turned toward backsliding. Hey, that's just the body of sin for, for the time being that we have to address and deal with. But there are walls we begin to put up, walls of unforgiveness, walls of, of uh, uh, secret sin, walls that stand between us and God. And we begin to feel that sense of displacement. And revival is then turning back to God and allowing that refreshment. Well, Isaiah was a young man when Uzziah, the king, who was also his uncle, died. And so Isaiah went to the place where hurting hearts go. He went to the temple to meet God. Revival begins with an innate need, a knowing need in my heart. Something troubles me. Uh, something uh, is not right. And from that sense of need, I go to the Lord. That's the first step. God, I realize I need to turn back to you. The second step then is for God to reveal himself to us. You remember Isaiah went to the temple to meet Adonai. And who did he meet? Yahweh. The personal name of God. Isaiah wanted comfort from the Adonai God. But when he opened the door, Yahweh stepped through and Isaiah fell on his face in repentance and surrender. We left last week with Isaiah seeing the Lord. I saw the Lord, he says. I met Yahweh. And Isaiah spontaneously moves into confession, repentance, and surrender. Now, that point in the process of your Christian faith is, needs to be zeroed in on. 
if you if you mapped out your Christian life, the points of your repentance and surrender are huge in the life of the believer. Critical factors. Absolutely necessary. Anytime you have moved forward in your faith, it is because you have successfully navigated confession, repentance, and surrender. And if you find yourself having to be thrown back at the starting point again, get ready, come up, take two steps, and then get thrown back again, the reason is likely because you don't yet know how to, or you've not yet brought before the Lord, confession, repentance, and surrender that are holy unto Him. It is that critical a factor. And so when Isaiah walks to the temple, opens the door, Yahweh meets him there, he falls and cries out with this heart, this spirit of confession, repentance, and surrender. I don't even know that you can break those up individually and distinctively. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's a heart where one leads to the next instantaneously. It is that heart, that spirit. Yes, God. Yes, God, I will. One of my favorite uh, stories in Christian history uh, is a story <laughs> about a young man whose name was uh, Evan Roberts. He was 26 years old when he received this burden from God for revival. And this young man would not let it go. And in the midst of that revival, God began to bring a lot of evangelism in. And in six months, over 100,000 people had been saved. Roberts was from a religious family and uh, he took his Bible everywhere he went, even as a young boy. But one day, uh, in the coal mines, he was reading his Bible, and uh, the, the page, Second Chronicles chapter 6, where Solomon is praying for revival for his people, Roberts saw this as prophetic, a, a flame kind of uh, reached out from the fire and scorched that page on his, on his Bible. And Robert saw this as prophetic, and he became consumed to see, for, to see God bring revival among uh, his people. And again, over 100,000 people saved within six months, but this revival really began as a spiritual renewal in this young man's heart. God starts revival somewhere. 
And that may be you. The story goes that one night, Robert's, <clears throat> in Robert's own heart, while he prayed, he chronicled his life-changing experience with these words. He said, I felt a living force coming into my bosom. This grew and grew. I was almost bursting. My bosom was boiling. I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me. The tears and perspiration flowed freely. I thought blood was gushing forth. At this point, others noticed that something was happening, and they came over to wipe my face. Roberts says he continued his trek by crying out unto the Lord with these words, which became the slogan of the revival, which is known as the Great Welsh Revival. But Roberts prayed these words over and over and over again. The words, bend me, O Lord, bend me. Roberts says, suddenly the glory broke. For after I was bent, a wave of peace came over me and I was filled with compassion for those that would have to be bent on that day and I wept. Hopefully the salvation uh, of others would become the burden of my heart. From that time on, I was on fire with a desire to go through all of Wales. And if it were possible, I was willing to pray for the privilege of going. And from that time on, this 26-year-old, wherever he went, the fires of revival spread. The theme of that revival movement, bend me, O Lord, bend me. Now, I share with you this story from his words because I want you to get a picture in your mind and in your heart of this state of confession, repentance, and surrender. I want you to get a picture of that from his words. It's a, it's a state of knowing that the hand of God is upon you. And it may be in grace or it may be in judgment. But the hand of God is upon you, drawing you, and the flesh within you is fighting with all of its might. There is a supernatural spiritual battle going on in your heart. And just like Paul said in Romans 7, everything within me, I want to do what is right. I, I do want to honor God with my life. And yet, the pull... The lies that you're just going to be back here again, even no matter how many times you make God promises, you're going to fail. And lies fill your mind. At the same time, the Spirit of God is drawing you. There is a fight for your life. And the spirit of confession, repentance, and surrender 
will enter that battle and will win by surrender. Will win by letting go. You notice in his testimony, uh, Roberts said that there was a point when it all broke. And peace replaced that, that fight. That is the point of surrender. That is the point of confession. God, I agree with you. No matter how hard I've tried to defend my territory, I agree with you. What, everything you've said is right. And repentance, not only do I agree that what you say is right, but I am willing to take your hand and let you lead me out of this toward into holiness. And surrender says, God, I lay it before you. All that I have, all that I am, I surrender unto you. And that great Welsh revival beautifully illustrates this spirit of confession, repentance, and surrender with the tagline, Bend me, Lord. Bend me. Now, I, I, I'll tell you up front, some of you this morning are going to hear the, these words, but it's simply not going to make sense. Because in your heart there is an act, attitude, spirit, there is a spiritual blockage. And to pray a bend me prayer, you're not in the position yet for the intensity of that battle because <clears throat> you've already lost before you begin. But there will be others who will hear these words. And they will become words that are very meaningful to you. It's this phrase, bend me, O Lord, bend me. It so happens that <clears throat> David, one of our biblical heroes, himself prayed a bend me prayer. And so I want us to look at this. Uh, I just have a few minutes to do so. A biblical uh, model of a bend me prayer. For So turn with me, uh, if you would, <clears throat> please, in your Bibles, Psalm 139. One thirty-nine, twenty-three through 24. 
This is David coming before God and praying what would be categorized as a bend-to-me prayer. He said this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here King David draws up a four-step focus for a bend-to-me prayer. In this prayer, David makes four quick requests. He asks of the Lord, God, search me. Secondly, then God, understand me. Thirdly, God, purge me. And then fourthly, God, lead me. I want us to look at those very quickly uh, this morning as this bend me, O God, prayer. David begins, search me, O God, try me. The term search comes from the mining world. And it means to explore, to examine, or to make a full and complete discovery as one would mine underground or mine caves. David's praying, God, mine my heart. And then he says, try me and know my anxieties. The word try means to put to test. To put to test to prove worth, value, to prove the worth of. So David is praying, Lord, I stand before you now, and in the light of your holiness, evaluate me, O God. Journey down into the caverns of my heart and let your fire illuminate, uncover everything that is within me. That is a bold step in this bend me prayer. Mine my heart, O oh God. Go under and look in every crevice and every crack and go in every room and search with Holy light. And then testing. Test me, God. Test my worth and who I am. Amgrin, Anne Graham Lotz, the daughter of uh, Billy and Ruth Graham, tells a story of when she was a little girl and a major talk show host was coming to their home to interview the family. She said, like any other self-respecting housewife, that her mother began cleaning the house two weeks before uh, these people were to, to come. She said, I remember mother, with the help of several friends, polishing, dusting, washing, waxing that old log cabin like never before. And she said, finally then the day came. 
when the talk show host entered, he came in with all of his cameras and lights and equipment. And she says, the talk show host positioned my parents on the sofa, instructing them about which cameras to look into while answering questions. Uh, Mrs. Lott said, my mother was serenely poised. Looking about that room, she could see that it was absolutely spotless. But then the cameras began to roll and the lights were turned on. And she said, my mother had a look of absolute horror for that room that looked so spotless under ordinary lights revealed cobwebs in the corner, soot in the fireplace, dust bunnies under the table, and in the intense light of that television lighting, we saw the room as it was. And Graham Lotz went on to say, my mother's house that day looked like our lives. Under ordinary lighting, our own, as our own standards, we compare ourselves with others. And we can be deluded into thinking that we're okay, but under the intense light of God, we see things as never before. The cobwebs of selfishness, the soot of secret sin, the dust of disobedience, and the revelation can be horrifying. David knew this. And that's why he prayed as he did. Search me, O God. Put me to the test. The second request he made was understand me. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. What he was praying was, God, understand who I am. Understand me. Accept me. The word know, when David prayed, know my heart, means to perceive, to observe, and to understand, i.e. to come to a deep knowledge of. So David was saying, Lord, know me very deeply. Know me beyond what anyone else knows me. God, see me and know who I am. Search me in the deepest recesses of my heart. Test me and see if there's any fears or doubts and certainties that are deep in my heart. But God, also know me, the real me, the hidden me, the me that no one else knows that no one else ever sees. Know my fears. Know my tears. Know my sorrows. Know my joys. Because no one will ever love me like you do. Your love for me is perfect and unconditional. 
And so understand me, Lord, as I walk with you. We can all identify to some degree. David is praying, Lord, I want you to know me because I'm tired of being lonely. I'm tired of being misunderstood. I'm tired of people not accepting me as I am. Because God, you created me. You must know me. So God, please see me. Please understand me. Please accept me. And help me to walk with you. It really is a wonderful, truly blessed knowledge to know that God knows us. Knows us just as we are. We're not fooling Him, just ourselves. He knows every thought before you think it. He knows every word before you speak it. He knows the number of hairs on your head and and mine. He knows us exactly who we are and loves us perfectly. You know, it's a lot easier to surrender to someone that you know really loves you. I I, I can remember when my daughter was around two, she used to like to jump off things, as does uh, uh, her offspring now, but she would just uh, love to jump, and uh, I'd put her on tables and ledges and, you know, whatever. We had a big time. But the thing is, she never would jump by herself. And secondly, she wouldn't jump to anybody else. But when her daddy came in, she knew I was never going to drop her. And so she had the confidence the trust in me that every time she belted off. And so when we are at a point of surrender, of full surrender, it is our Father that's receiving this letting go. Just, I'll do it your way. So I want to ask you this morning. When I say the words, 
Bend me, oh God. Bend me. Does that connect with your soul? Is is that is that what your heart is wanting to say to God? You you, you may say it in, in different ways. But the point is, what we are asking God to do is to bend us, is to break us, is to bring us to that point of confession, repentance, and surrender. Search me, O God, and I'm ready to do what you want, but remind me who you are. You're the one who understands me perfectly and who loves me perfectly. That's who he is.